Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Show. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today, Aaron, we got two big games. Big, big games. We're going to talk about the sands of Egypt and buzzard bait. I've got a special visual aid for the buzzard bait section. I can't wait to break this out. This came straight from the lab. (laughs) Now, Aaron, um, sands of Egypt is what we, we call the graphical text adventure. Okay? Yes. Now, I remember the first time I ever played a text adventure... I sort of I, I approach things differently as a as a youth than most people because I started out playing, I don't know I played more, uh, twenty six hundred and uh, the Atari twelve hundred XL lots of like graphical games right you know so when the first time I played a game that was just a solid wall of text, I actually I thought it was kind of cool I thought it was kind of cool it was neat because it was like the story was playing out in my mind. Right. I would have been over the moon to play a game like Sands of Egypt because not only do you have the text there, but you've also got sort of a graphical interpretation. The Atari 1200XL didn't get a whole lot of those. Um, for whatever reason, um, they, they were mostly just the, the straight-on text. Now, I'm sure a lot of people might think that they would rather just have the text and not have any graphical representation to let their mind do the, do the imagining. Right. What do you think? When these came out... Now, of course, I, I had a Coco when I was a kid, and I did have uh, had both these games. And we also had the text games, the Infocom stuff mostly. And, of course, people, you know, whatever, people, everyone made one, right? Um, it was, I, I've looked at it two different ways. When I, I had a Coco, and so we weren't getting a lot of games that other people got. We weren't getting Prince of Persia. We weren't getting, uh, uh, you know, uh, Castle Wolfenstein, stuff like that. So when I saw a game like, let's say, Zork or uh, something along those lines, I was like, wow, we're getting a game that's on the Apple, that's on the uh, PCs. This is, we're, getting, we're finally getting support from someone else. And so in my mind, that made that a bigger deal. Now, when, you, when I would sit down to play these games, honestly, I never really got into text games all that much, to be truthful. So when a game like Sands of Egypt came out, uh, I was drawn to it purely because it had graphics. If you want the truth, because I mean, let's face facts. For the most part, games like this are just text games with some pictures often just plastered on them. Uh, but they they called to me. I don't know if it was because they felt more modern uh, or just strictly because of the graphics. But I liked them better uh, than just text games. Now I can understand what you're saying because you know I'm a big time classic radio fan. Mm-hmm. So I like that theater of the mind, you know, mind's eye stuff. I'm down with that, but. For me, the text games, it's only something I've been able to kind of get into a little bit more recently. But when I was a kid, I didn't have no time for most of those. I mean, there were some I would play, but it, was, it wasn't something I was going out of my way to get into. So you played quite a few then back I then? I played, there was a game called Beachcomber. Yeah. I played all the time. Uh, you were this guy, you were, check this out, you go to the, you're on the beach and you're like looking for cells and stuff, but you can go into an arcade you put money into the arcade, and then the and then it's like you're playing this game. Then all of a sudden, it like sucks you in. I don't know if I'm remembering this properly, and I it might be getting like confused with Tron yeah. or like the Last Starfighter or something like that. But anyway, in my mind, it was great. Yeah. Um. And I remember there was this one game. It was like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where you were with Marvin, you know, the depressed robot. Except it was like a clone sort of thing. But I swear, the text parser was so good, you could type the most off the wall stuff, and he would know what you were talking about. And I just thought that was AI. You yeah. Know, I, so, I, some of those text parsers, they really did refine those quite mm-hmm. a bit. At the, you know, and so you could really go crazy with stuff. 
But really, at the end of the day, you're just staring at a screen of text. You are. You know, so I'm not saying it's. I don't. I shouldn't downplay it like that. It's not fair. Some people love those, but at the time, I wasn't. I wasn't feeling them. So when the, this wave of graphical text games came out, I was much more into them. I can say that. Well, let's talk about the sands of time. Sands of Egypt. The both. sands of Egypt. You know, I I typed this in as I was getting things together for the show, and I typed in like the sands of the desert, the desert of Egypt. I cannot yeah. remember the name of this game. The sands and, and the of Egypt. And the beat goes on. Yeah. So. Sands of Egypt uh, came out in 82, uh, of course, on the Coco. And this this would run on any of the Cocos that had, if as long as you had 32K of memory. Only came on disc, both, which I found interesting. Uh, so get this. Uh, this was the first disc-only game that Radio Shack ever sold for the color computer. I remember, I think you were telling me that most, you know, when you would look at the shelves... They would be mostly full of carts, right? They would mostly have carts, but I do remember seeing this. Uh, uh, it was it was part of an animated adventure series, basically. It's just it was just like just a name, you know, just like real sports or whatever. They just tagline. Uh, according to this, the second in the of uh, the, uh, the graphics uh, text adventures games they released was the Dallas Quest, which me and the Brent covered on ARG. It's one of Brent's all time favorite games, which was a, it was very similar to this. Uh, so, uh, this game came out, and you had you were talking pretty good graphics uh, in, in in '82. This thing had uh, 256 by 192 by two four color graphics. Yeah. And on top of everything else, what you got here? Well, let's explain what you're looking at. You've got all, it's it's your screen split in half. The bottom half, mostly half is text with a little compass in the top half, you get a picture. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, this is an animated window. You will get, uh, when you move, it actually scrolls, yeah. and it, which is uh, nice. Uh, you get, you get like almost, I guess, could you call it parallax or multiplanar scrolling, I guess would be the best way to put it. I mean, you actually get, there's multiple movements when you move. Mm -hmm. It's actually not bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, the colors, you think to yourself, geez, four colors, well, that, that sounds like crap. Well, it, it looks pretty good. And I remember at the time that I thought this had the best graphics I had ever seen. Mm -hmm. It really blew me away. Uh, it had a, a really cool cover, you know, and so this game was one that I was licking my chops to play. So when I went back to play this week, I remembered some of it. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, the uh, fellows that put this together were uh, James Guerin, uh, Ralph Burris, and Steve Jork. Now, we just went into a long uh, list of the titles that Steve Jork worked on. I mean, he's worked on everything. Uh, if you listen to last week's episode, you can get the full rundown. He worked on tons of stuff. Uh, then you had uh, James Guerin. Well, we've recovered one of his games already, too. Him and Steve Jork worked on Canyon Climber. So, And there is the color palette on this is very similar to Canyon Climber, isn't it? But yeah. It's kind of the rusty browns and mm -hmm. blues and whites. And it actually works out pr pretty well. I and mean, I thought Candy Climber was a real attractive game as well. So I'd never, ever seen the actual manual for this. And so I actually was amused that there's a backstory that I never knew about. I'm, just, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but I want to get into some well, of it. Well, first of all, show, show the people uh, that yeah. are watching the video version. This is actually, it looks like a handwritten letter that came with the game. Yeah. And this was actually in the manual. Now, it would have been cooler if it was a feely, but you mm -hmm. get it is what it is. But this is something that would have been a feely. And so this is a fellow writing to Vicky. 
and he's talking about being on, this, on the expedition here, and he was, uh, uh, it, it, as he goes through here, he talks about having to discipline his men. He says, as the leader of the expedition, I attempted to maintain order, but the other members refused to accept my helpful guidance. Being the author of 19 critically acclaimed etiquette books, that's a lot. That is a lot of etiquette books. I was diligent in trying to teach the others proper digging methods and the proper way to keep their khakis starched. <laughs> this is, this is like the Emily Post of the desert. However, they became cr increasingly disrespectful, refusing to starch their khakis and have high tea on schedule. As a result of their impudence, I was forced to remove some of their privileges. <laughs> so there you go. When he woke up on the fifth morning, I awoke to find that they had abandoned me in the middle of the desert with no water, shelter, or kippers. <laughs> it was highly irregular. I can picture this guy in my head oh, right yeah. now. Oh, yeah. This is highly irregular. Personally, I hope they were eaten by cobras and scorpions. Which I, And then he sums up his letter. Fortunately, while ransacking my tent, they overlooked my compass, which was in the left pocket of my khakis. I always sleep in my khakis, which I consider a proper behavior. Of course. And so, using my compass, I was able to overcome the unfavorable meteorological conditions, find the tomb of Ra, make my way back to the Nile, and then have a brief respite in Cairo. So, this is him. This is the letter he would send, presumably, after you complete the mission. Mm -hmm. So, to summarize, this guy was a jerk. A pompous jerk to his to his diggers, who who ripped him off, screwed him over, and left him to die. Mm. And that's you in and the you, desert. That's you. I never knew that. You are that pompous jerk. Listen, I am the role I was meant to play, Boat. When you don't have high tea at the appropriate time, and don't start your cat. I know, I know. I, I've crossed you before when it comes. So, to that. what do you do in this game? Well, you do start out sitting in the middle of the desert, and you are a task to move around. Now, this has a pretty basic. Movement system. Did you have any trouble? I had no trouble moving around. Understanding this game. the way you, I didn't think you would. This is not one of those games where you you got a mouse and you're clicking on icons to move. You got your you got your compass points, and those are the places you can move. They to. were pretty clever the way they did it. They highlight where you can go. Mm -hmm. You can hit, uh, and you don't have to type in the whole word, which yep. was something you had to do back in the day. Uh, not only does it have that stuff, you can actually save games. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew that, uh, which is awesome. I read that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, now, so we, we agree that the interface pretty good. I mean, this thing is, doesn't have some departure of doom, but it's got something. So here you are, your boat, you load this up. How did you fare in your efforts to escape the desert? I want to hear what you thought of the actual gameplay and the puzzle elements. Because this is your standard uh, hunt and fetch, figure out what to do with the stuff you find sort of game. I fared poorly, Aaron. <laughs> Yes. I died many times. Yes, yeah, from thirst. From thirst. Yeah. I also died by snake. <clears throat> yes. Um, so the, this is one of these games where you've got to make a map. You've got to. If you don't, you're screwed. Yep. You got to get out the graph paper, and you got to go. It even says that in the documentation. Mm -hmm. You get some paper. I did not get out the graph paper, and I did not go. Um, what you're, I did you're do. You're 2020 lazy. Right. Yeah. What I did do was I, I got to the snake. Yeah. Okay. I, no, I got the shovel. Yeah. Okay. And I got to the snake. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, it's on now. I know what I need to do. I need to kill this snake. Correct. So I typed in kill snake and then I hit enter. And then it said, with what? And I said, shovel. Yeah. And then it said, what do you mean? And I said, shovel, damn it. And then I died. 
You put in damn it. You no, actually type that but in. in my mind, you do I kill it that. with the shovel. I know. You've got to type in kill snake with shovel. Yeah. Okay. So this is the type of thing that drives me insane in these games. When I was a kid, I had the patience for that. Yeah. As an adult, I don't have that patience anymore. Um, so I immediately looked at. I was like, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna get through this. And then I'm going to get back to the game. So I went on the YouTubes. Yeah. And I watched and I saw what he needed to do. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to kick back and watch this whole thing. And that's what I did. And I enjoyed it. It was cool because the guy knew exactly what he was doing. He went through. I saw all the scenes. I enjoyed it as what they call a content tourist. Yeah. Well, I will say this is a game that I did have back in the day. And this is the kind of game that you sit down with. And you spend an afternoon, and it's just a kind of game that me and Brent, when Brent got old enough, could sit down and we would double, we would team up mm -hmm. and try to think of everything you could possibly do. Right. The the problem. This game is very similar to Dallas Quest mm -hmm. in that the puzzles are often nonsensical, uh, not often, but occasionally. Let's be fair. And you are going to fail a lot, and you're going to be frustrated a lot as you go through it, because there are areas where you have to wait for a certain amount of time. There are areas you just have to sort of randomly dig. You're also occasionally uh, thirsty. And the more... Occasionally? Well, <laughs> you're in the desert, for God's yeah. sake. Yeah. So at first, he just says, I'm thirsty. Then he starts saying, I'm really thirsty. Then he's like, I'm dying of thirst. And then you're screwed. So this is, this is like having... A, a platformer exploration game with a time limit. It is. You know, they want you to explore and find out all the cool things, but you better do it quick. Um, and that, to me, the th I understand thematically, you know, you're in the desert, you're, you can die of thirst. Yeah. But boy, does that sap the fun out of this game for me. Well, the manual does have some tips in it that would help a little. Having not had the manual, this is another perfect example of why you shouldn't pirate things. Who buries you in the desert to place that tombstone? That's what I want to know. Listen, they had to have something in it. You can't have your rotten corpse. So, the uh, I did remember some of this. I do. I remembered enough to get the shovel, kill the snake, and get the canteen, and get to the oasis. I remembered that much. And, and fill up the canteen. Then it got real sketchy real quick. Um... Uh, I, re I knew you could climb the tree to get dates. I knew about, I did remember riding the camel. I remember that. Uh, but there's a lot of steps that you have to take. And much like yourself, I got to the point where I had to go and watch someone get through. I beat this. I actually went through the whole thing, but not. it's not like I could say, boy, I beat it. I basically watched the guy do it, and then I sort of did it. Right. I, you know, I did the same thing, except I just moves. didn't do it. Yeah. It you know, then they took that guy. Um the uh, uh, the the fact of the matter is, it's a it's a real tough old school game. Now, I used to play a graphical. There's several of these graphical text adventures that I played on the Coco. This was not my favorite. I'll be honest with you. This had some cool aspects to it, uh, and, and some stuff I'd never seen until I until I went through it. Like I'd never been under. I don't think we ever got to the underground river or any of that stuff. That was cool. Or to actually see the tomb. It's fun to adventure through this. It was, I'm, and, but, I mean, it's funny. You watch a playthrough of it, they, and the playthrough goes about 12, 15 minutes, and, and it's over. And I remember sitting there and just spending hours and hours trying to find stuff that this guy would just... I mean, it was painful. So it's the kind of game that you're going to have to sit around and just set aside a, a month and just play it on and off. I mean, that's it. That's all there is to it. It's, it's not a... It's not a uh, uh, 
it's not an easy game. It now all that said, gameplay aside, it looks nice. Uh, the animations are nice, and it was sort of a uh, on the Coco at least. This was sort of a seminal title in, in this genre. So when you're the first at something, you're not necessarily the best at it, right? Right. And I think these titles progressed well afterwards. I even think Dallas Quest is probably a little bit better, although it's Dallas Quest is even more, some of the puzzles are even more nonsensical than this. It's well, I'll crazy. tell you one thing about this game. This, this particular title is perfectly suited to the color palette of the Coco. You know, the Coco does orange so well. Yeah. It does blue so well. And those colors really, really pop in this game. Yeah. It does. It looks good. It looks good. But overall, you know, eh, it, it wasn't the be best thing I ever played. Let's just put it that way. Um, I looked this up on eBay, by the way, and there were none. And that surprised me, to be honest with you, because this was a... This was a game that I would uh, always see at the shack, you know, and it, I, and they didn't have it. So <laughs> this is one that I was surprised I didn't see online. I even checked to see if one had sold recently, and mm -hmm. there weren't any. Mm -hmm. You know, my brain tells me that we played this on cassette. So when I found out that it was a disc-only release, I was I was sort of surprised. So I guess you could someone you, someone may have converted or maybe just remembered it, remember, remember it wrong, but it was definitely only released as a text game. So this is your cup of tea. Uh, or you just want to experience it, I think that's probably the, what I would do. Just to run through it. You can run through it pretty quick, you know, and it's a good it's a good laugh uh, if you want to sit down and have a, uh, you know, a few minutes of fun. But it's not one you're going to go back to. And if you're trying it for the first time without any cheating, good luck. <laughs> now, what did, did you, when you sold your Coco, did you sell for, uh, did you sell everything as one big lot, all the games, everything? The only thing on? I kept, I had a copy of a game called WrestleManiac that I bought in the back of a magazine. I kept that somewhere, I've still got it. Mm. And I, but I don't, I think I sold, I think I may have accidentally kept some discs, but I think I sold everything. Okay. And yeah, there, what would I keep it for? Because there was no compatibility or anything. Right. So, you know, it right. Was, when it went, it went, but it had to go. All right. So, Aaron. good game. Did we, did we get any? I don't think we got any. Did we get any? We got. We got no this? listener reviews this week on the Coco Show. All right. Well, we'll move it along then, boat. So, All righty. Let's, let's shift gears. Let's shift them. So you're going from a graphical text adventure to a straight up arcade clone, Boatster. And so the second game we're going to look at today is Buzzard Bait. Mm. Buzzard Bait. Now, um, Buzzard Bait is a clone, a straight up clone of the old standard Joust. You know, Joust, a great game that was released uh, by Williams Electronics in 1982. Big hit in the arcade. Uh, are you a fan? I loved, well, I like Joust. Joust is, it, it's, you gotta have two people playing yeah. that sucker. It yeah. makes it more fun. Um, this was one of the early games where, they, I mean, this is a real unique gameplay style for the era. Williams was on fire for a while. Mm -hmm. And and you're talking about the same company that was putting out, you know, Robotron, and uh, Defender. Yeah, they had a bunch of crazy and it's, it's Stargate and all mm -hmm. those. And this was really one of their wackiest games where you mount an ostrich and fight other people mounted on ostriches that are knights. And every time you would uh, land on a bird or an ostrich, you would knock off the rider and the thing would lay an egg and you picked it up. Just wacky. Mm -hmm. It is uh, wacky. And one thing that the arcade had was some awesome sound. Mm -hmm. The Williams, of course, Williams came from a pinball background and they used... They knew how to do sound. They, and they used a lot of their sounds that were in their pinball machines came out in their arcades and vice versa. And it had... Williams games always have this unique sound with this crazy bass mm -hmm. feel. 
and they really have a cool look. This thing had a real cool like in-game font that was used. It was just a great game. And so, of course, Defender got ported to every conceivable thing, right? And we're going to come back to that because this story actually winds around to Defender eventually, believe it or not. But anyway, the Coco, of course, rarely got any sort of arcade port, like, official. We talked about one last week with with the Rampage. Mm -hmm. uh, and but so, those were few uh, and far between. That's right. And, and of course, the Coco was more than capable of a, sure. of a port. Mm -hmm. So what you ended up getting were these clones. And this is a, the clone of, uh, of uh, uh, Defender, or Joust. Now... I found the actual box text on this. You got to hear this, and I, I think you'll enjoy this boat. This is on the back of the of the box, and also in their ad, or and this included on the instructions. We've done it again. You thought the king was great. Wait till you see this outstanding high resolution graphics, tremendous sound make this joust type game a must for your software collection. They even oh. mentioned joust. As you fly from cloud to cloud, you will enjoy this sky high excitement. Dealing with the challenges presented to you by the newest release by Tom Mix Software, your old buddy. Anything about chucking empties in there? No, chucking empties, but this was, they mentioned your favorite game, The King, in here. So, this was put out by a crew called The Rugby Circle. Right? Now, they'd done some other stuff on the Coco, including a game called Death Trap. And it was authored, uh, The Rugby Circle uh, was comprised of Robert Lech, L E C H, Lech. Lech. And Troy Dahlman, okay, and published by Tom Mix in '83. Uh, we're gonna get back to those guys in a minute. Now, uh, this this will run pretty much on any 32K uh, Coco, and they, you can get it on disc or tape. The tape's gonna run you 28 bucks. The disc, 31 bucks. I'd go with the disc personally. That's just me if you got it. Um, so clearly, they make no bones about the fact that they've ripped off Joust. Okay, it's a it's amazing uh, the. Well, I say gall or the the bravado that you would just, and mention the game you're ripping off in your ad. <laughs> it's truly astounding to me. So you've played both games now, both, and this of course supports one or two players. Mm -hmm. uh, it has the exact same layout level-wise in terms of the landing areas that you do in the arcade. Uh, I did notice that there are some omissions. The the one that I noticed was a uh, was a egg wave. Right. Where's the egg wave at? Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah. That, that's because I mean they really got everything else, including if you've played Joust. Like I said, you get on these things and fly around. You try to dismount the other knights, and uh, as you go as you progress through the levels, um, parts of the levels disappear, mm -hmm. including the floor. Part of it goes away, and there's lava under it. And if you get to a certain point, there's a hand that will reach about the lava and drag you down. Right. Uh, that's in here. The hand dissolving the level mm -hmm. barriers in here. Uh, the 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 uh, one thing I noticed, and and you know, it's been so long since I played the arcade version. Most of the time, I play the version on the Atari computer. The the your rider will actually dismount, and you have to mount your bird, or you'll see the computer have to mount his bird. I was watching this playthrough, and I saw that. I don't recall that from the arcade well, game. When the, the eggs hatch, yeah. yeah, that's that's the way. Yeah, no, that's that that's exactly what they did. Okay, okay. <clears throat> um, there, when you die, you sort of teleport back to a, one of the starting spots. Right. Um, it's all there. It plays these. The graphics are a little chunkier than the arcade. Mm -hmm. The arcade has more. Airspace, you know, what I'm saying it doesn't feel as claustrophobic as this does, mm -hmm. but given the uh, limitations of having this on a on a home screen, 
I think it's it's pretty good. Yeah, I think this is a pretty darn good port. Yeah. Um, I, one thing I noticed is that the uh, the albatross. I don't know what he actually is. The condor. Uh, the, the big, the big dragon, pterodactyl. Thing. The pterodactyl. Yeah. yeah, I knew it was some kind of bird. Um, he appears much earlier in this game than he does in the uh, in the other. You mean in the if, other if you waste too much time? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he'll he'll come out, uh, and much like you know, I looked at the scoring for this, uh, and I'm not going to go over all the scoring, but it's it. You know, you've got, you get you get certain amount of points for the eggs you get. You get a certain amount of points for when you, it's a survival wave mm-hmm. or a team wave. When you don't kill each other, the gladiator wave. Uh, they've also got different types of knights you have to go after. And you also, uh, this is the reason I looked up the scoring, could you kill the pterodactyl? In the arcade, you can if you hit him right. And in this, you can as well. It's worth 1,000 points. So they've even they've even included that. Now, what does this not have that the arcade has? Well, it's not as colorful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the cool font. Uh, it doesn't have, it's not as, have all the flourishes of the arcade in terms of the way the landings look and the, the uh, the uh, buzzards you ride on. Let's assume they're buzzards. It's this buzzer bait. The buzzards don't have the detail that they do in, that the birds do in the arcade. The fire is not as good. You know, it, it's just it, the the colors are toned down. Yeah. But really, these are minor complications. The big place where this thing falters is the sound. <clears throat> it does have sound. It's not great sound. And if you uh, are used to playing this in the arcade, where you've got the awesome sounds of the arcade. Uh, that those aren't featured here. Yeah. Uh, no. Now I will say because I can only see the little guy there. Yeah, that's exactly the way it is in the arcade. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, comparing this to the Atari port, uh, the sound is 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 about the same. Yeah. Um, I will say that, like you said, that the feeling is a little for for reasons I don't completely understand. It's a little bit more claustrophobic here. Maybe the landing areas are a little bit bigger than they should be. I felt the same way. I feel like the guys are bigger and the landing bays are probably at best the same, if not yeah, a little small. Yeah. yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, if you're a Coco owner and you like Joust, you yeah. can't go wrong with this. And I've played many a two player game with this with my brother or guests, and it plays, it, it, you're not going to do anything wrong playing this. Now, I wanted to get to this part because this is the, what I think is really wacky. So I mentioned that the guys that worked on this, uh, Robert Lake and Troy Dahlman, uh, of the rugby circle, uh, had a few uh, games on the uh, Coco. Well, they also, this is something, I, I, I bet this is, it can't have happened more than a couple times. Um, this is from a book called Faster Than Light. It's a book about uh, Atari home computers. You should check, I think it's mostly ST. Yeah, I think it's the ST book. So the rugby circle decided they were going to go into ST programming, Atari ST. They bought a pre-production Atari ST, one of the first 20 Atari ever sold. Wow. Okay. For 4500 bucks. Then they bought a second one when the price dropped. All right. And they were hired to produce a game on the ST. Guess which game it was? Joust. Okay. They got hired to do an official port of Joust on the Atari ST. So that in itself was crazy. Just the fact that these guys came from a clone Atari version of Joust with the actual license. Well, version. Well, you, you know that it, you know that that uh, you know developer or companies had their their tendrils out in the clone market looking for talent. Yeah. So uh, as they were trying to develop Joust for the Atari ST, they were having trouble. So they decided to make their own. Uh, uh, they made them. They taught themselves C. And then created a commercial, uh, basically they created a sprite 
programming utility to aid them in programming Joust. And the, the program they developed was called uh, COIR, Core. It was an object editor. And so they were given Antic, the magazine Antic, a demonstration of what they were doing with Joust. And Antic were like looking at this product they were working on, they were using to make the Joust mm -hmm. graphics. They're like, what the heck's this? And so Antic li instantly licensed Core. Wow. Okay. And it was the first S it was the first ST product in the Antic arcade catalog. This was this COIR program, and it ended up coming out before Joust was released. Weird. <laughs> That's strange. Yeah. So, now, as far as I could tell, that was pretty much the only thing that they did. And people tried to figure out what they did with Core, and no one knows if anything was developed with it. But it was still, it blew my mind that these guys went from making a clone of Joust to actually getting licensed to do Joust. Well, the fact that they wrote like they, a, a sprite, you know, programming utility, <laughs> that is wild. It is craziness, man. It's crazy. Uh, I did find a uh, review on this one. Uh, the guys over at Ice People that do all the Coca reviews gave this game an A minus, uh, and they really liked it. And I would say I would be pretty much fall in line with that. I think this is a good quality clone of Joust. I'd say it's one of the better clones. There are, this is not the only Joust clone, by the way. There's a clone called Lancer, which I think is not quite as good as this, uh, but some people like it. And then uh, there's also a game, it's called Pegasus something or another, and it's a super fancy version of Joust. It's not, it's not a clone, it's more like a reimagining. Mm -hmm. I haven't played this one for years, and so that's one to look at in the future. But in terms of a straight clone of Joust, this, this right here is your Huckleberry. Awesome. Now, before we close it up, oh, thank you, Curtis. Pegasus and the Phantom Riders. What a name, by the yeah. way. You know, I work at a crime lab. So when I knew we were doing this buzzard game, I knew we had this sitting in the back. And I brought this for you, Bo, to, to have a look at. All right, let's get this on camera here. Now, yeah. you don't have to do anything crazy. You ever heard of the process of freeze drying? Yes. Okay. That's well, how Dippin' Dots, the ice cream of the future, is made. Well, this, if I've got the right box here, this should be a completely preserved, freeze dried by the great state of Kentucky buzzard. There should be a buzzard in here. Wow, okay. Well, I wasn't expecting that to enter Amigo Studios, but that's fine. It's in. You know, they put all this biohazard they stuff They put on some here. biohazard duct tape on they there, told apparently. Me, oh, I did that, because the tape that was on here wasn't holding very well. I, uh, they told me probably I shouldn't take this out, but they, I got permission, so I'm going to let you do the honors. Okay. You want to grab in there. Now, handle them carefully. Usually, you use gloves on that. Ho, ho, ho! What oh, is man, this? I think I grabbed the wrong box. Oh, man. Dude, I'm so This sorry. is a Coco 3. Oh, man. How the hell did that get in there? Now, wait a minute. Is this your Coco 3? Did no, you wrap up your Coco no, 3? No, no, What you got there? Shoot, I picked up the wrong box. Um, that is a Coco 3. I think it's got 2 meg upgrade in it. Oh, man. That I put in there. So, Merry Christmas, Boat. Well, Since where's your Coco 3? Mine's at home. <laughs> this, we have two Coco 3s between us? We do now. Uh, I, uh, uh, I I tried, I talked you up on a Coco 3 a while back, and you were like, nah, I'm going to mod the crap out of this Coco 2. And I knew, I was like, this is a big mistake. 
And so and it was. It turned out to be a much bigger mistake than I, than I anticipated. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, let's. You're now that you're on board with the cocoa, uh, you might as well have something you can play with. And so oh, that yeah. right there is your. You can get yourself a cocoa three. Uh, I uh, I hope you enjoy it. Well, thank I've already you. tested it. Like I said, I put I put the memory in it, and it's already it's already upgraded, and it's got a real good quality video signal. Oh. So you should have a lot of fun with that. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm definitely going to fire this thing up this weekend. I tested all the so. keys. It should be good to go. So now, truly, you can you can be uh, the host of the Coco Show. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so, so much. Put that on the pile of computers that you never get to use. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'm speechless after that, Aaron. Thank you so much. Um, it would, of course, Christmas uh, has come early for our sub show supporters. Ah. Uh, those uh, those Patreon supporters that supported us for at least four months are in the market for a couple of goodies, including... These are tremendous. Coco Show official supporter 2019 magnets. I love and those. Game Selection Committee 2019 uh, for our Game Selection Committee members. So uh, these will be winging their way towards you uh, uh, very, very shortly. So be on the lookout in the mail. And uh, if you would like to get one of these in December 2020, next Christmas, uh, consider supporting The Coco Show at patreon.com slash Show. You also get access to our Discord channel which is uh, the nicest people you'll ever meet in and your smartest. life. Yeah, and smartest. <laughs> um, and, um, and you also get to listen to the show ad-free, too. So there's tons of benefits. Uh, and, um, yeah, so be on the lookout. Uh, Coco Show supporters, Game Selection Committee members. I'm taking a couple of these bad boys back to the pad. It's going up on Old Fridge. I want to thank all the fine folks that are here watching us in the chat here in, uh, in twitch.tv slash Amigos Retro Gaming. We got L. Curtis B, Pixels at Dawn Gaming, Picard 2010, Ricky DeRocher is here, Milton Bradley, uh, Pixels at Dawn Gaming, uh, Tanner Mirabel, Terror K. Delamort 78. Uh, thank you so much for watching us live. We do tape the show every Friday night, so feel free to, to stop by. I want to thank all of our Twitch subscribers. Uh, tapes from the Crypt, Math Dufort, Eric Nelson, Duh Project, just just sub subbed there in the chat. He checked in for a while. Thanks, Duh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Muggy7, Timid and Amiga Retrocast, The Slow Norris, Chris Folds, Anguish Hauteur, Brutal Barracuda, Macintosh Librarian, Amigos Retro Gaming, Hasifa. Oh, Amigos Retro Gaming is us. I don't know how we got in there. We sponsor <laughs> ourselves. Yeah. 6MMBRX. I am Paul H. Mohawk Mall, Bumface Poo Hands. <laughs> Silver Streak 72, Roushi MSX, Brother Bill, Paco Take, Midgard 73, and Still Adolescing. If you support us uh, through a Twitch subscription, you also get access to our Discord server. Uh, if you would like that, send me a DM on Twitch and I will hook you up. He's your hookup. Yeah. Uh, and finally, we have a new uh, Coco Show supporter this oh, week boy. on Patreon, Aaron. It's none other than Buttons. Buttons, yeah, beautiful. Hey, he punched my buttons. If you know what I mean. Welcome, buttons. I saw buttons. I saw him. I log into the Discord. So yes, I knew he was coming. And we thank also you, thank our other Patreons: Jeff Landreth, Graham Vebke, Wing Chun Wolf, who chose uh, the Sands of Egypt, and Curtis Boyle. Good choice. Yeah. 
All right, well, we are going to be off for a couple weeks, but our show is still going to be on. You can tune in for the next two Fridays and watch special Christmas episodes of Our Sinclair and Amigos Everything Amiga. And we will be back in January with another Coco Show. Beautiful, man. Until then, we'll see you guys later.